Welcome in to Locked On Knicks. Alex Wolf and Gavin Shaw here, and we are rejoined by our buddy Dallas Amico of the Strickland. And we've talked about Emmanuel quickly already. Now it's time to talk about the Knicks in general, the changes that Tom Thibodeau has made to the team this year that have led to the Knicks being as good as they have been, adjustments they could potentially make for the playoffs, including better late-game execution and maybe shortening the rotation even further, and a bunch more with our buddy Dallas next on Locked On Knicks. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. All right, welcome in to Locked On Knicks. We want to thank you guys for making Locked On Knicks your first listen today and every day, whether you're checking us out on your favorite podcast platform or taking in the sights and sounds on YouTube. We appreciate you making us a part of your daily routine. And if you haven't already, make sure to hit subscribe on YouTube or hit the uh, subscribe button on your favorite podcast app and either hit the notification bell or the auto download function so you never miss an episode. We do come at you guys five times a week. I'm Alex Wolf. I'm editor-in-chief of Nick's site, The Strickland, which you can find at thestrick.land. He is Gavin Shaw, your favorite play-by-play broadcaster, favorite play-by-play broadcaster, and this is Locked on Nick's. And Kind of already told you what we're talking about in the intro. Uh, we're joined by our buddy Dallas Amico of the Strickland, one of our favorite film savvy dudes who watches a ton of Knicks basketball and, and really has a great grasp on the X's and O's. So we asked Dallas what the Knicks have been doing well on offense and defense this year under Tom Thibodeau. What's changed that is turned into this huge uh, turnaround for the Knicks? as well as talking about what things might look like in the playoffs and some of the shortcomings that the Knicks have had to this point with uh, the rotation and with their late-game execution, which has been one of their Achilles heels up until, I guess, somewhat recently. Uh, so we'll talk about all that right now on Locked on Knicks. Um, but before we, we let you go, Dallas, I just um, – because I think we want – it's funny. We wanted to talk to you about this over the summer, and I think we, we got sidetracked probably talking about Emmanuel quickly, but – um, you, you, you love like the, I, the minutia of, of basketball. And, um, I think we've noticed, obviously we've noticed that the Knicks have been better. And I think we've attributed a lot of that to personnel changes. And then when we reference Tom Thibodeau specifically, I, I think we reference a lot to the deployment of personnel and like what lineups he's putting out there and what combinations and how he's, he's getting at, at the very least, like a bit more varied. Like we even saw, we saw no center lineup the other night when Mitchell Robinson got in foul trouble with with Julius Emmanuel quickly, Josh Hart, Quentin Grimes, and R.J. Barrett. Um, you, you can speak on that, but I'm, I'm also curious if on kind of a more granular, granular level, what you've noticed about what Tom Thibodeau has done with this team and how he started maximizing a roster that I saw um, our friend, a fellow Stricklander, Prez, talking about this on Twitter that I, I think we, we both thought and a lot of people thought did have a lot of talent going into the season but just was never going to be used the right way. Now it seems like Tibbs is, for the most part, pressing the right buttons with these guys. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, uh, so a couple of things I'll say. Um, obviously, as you mentioned, the lowest hanging fruit for a head coach, lowest hanging fruit is just play the best players. Yeah. Lowest hanging fruit. And Tibbs took 
<laughs> three years to get there, uh, to do it consistently, legitimately. Uh, and he didn't even start this year that way, right? It took him a few games, uh, Twenty-three games exactly. To, yeah. to potato potato. In fairness, Grimes wasn't available, but he was still like some of the stuff he was doing. He had better options than what he was doing. Um, but uh, so first thing is just yeah, play your best players it makes a huge difference. It's awesome. But one thing that happened this is this is one of the things that was so frustrating to me. Um, not just this year, but last year too. Uh, is Tibbs would play worst. Uh, worst defenders than he had on his team. He would play the worst defenders he had on his team, big minutes. And then what would happen is he would not trust them. He wouldn't trust them to stay in front of guys. And as a result, he would have them making these extremely aggressive help rotations off the ball. But for the same reasons you can't trust them to stay in front of guys, you can't trust them to make these help rotations, right? Um, and in, and sometimes, hysterically, these help rotations were utterly useless. Like, you would have, um, like, drop coverage where Mitch Mitch would be the big, and you'd have, like, Brunson trailing around, uh, you know, the, the ball handler. Um, and you would have Evan Fournier come all the way to the restricted area uh, as the low man, to like offer help, and you're like, how is he doing? He's standing behind Mitchell Robinson. Like, what, what are you doing? Like, there's nothing being added to this. Um, and once you know, every 35 plays, him being there would like happen to make a slight difference to something. But in, what would happen is that it would make wide open, very easy passes to the corner um, for ball handlers, right? Uh, and repeatedly early in the season, we were getting roasted um, by 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 that exact thing. Um, by our over-aggressive help scheme, which Tibbs really, really, really implemented, I think, in large part, because he did not trust the defensive personnel. Now, since he's playing better defensive personnel, interestingly, like, he should have had a way simpler system for bad defensive personnel, but he, he went more aggressive. Um, but, okay, so now he's playing better personnel, and there's a couple of things, I think, going, uh, going on. Um, not only can they execute that more aggressive help when they do it, right? Like if quickly or Grimes come all the way down to help, they can actually recover and like offer a contest or they're on a tight enough string that they can communicate. The close man will get there and they'll X out and they'll, you know, recover to, to, to the right sort of guys and make the rotation. So help the helper and so on. Um, so that's, that's one thing, but also now he's more comfortable. Um, not only not being as aggressive because he believes Grimes is going to stay in front of his guy in a way that he didn't trust Cam Reddish or he didn't trust, uh, you know, Evan Fournier or he didn't trust whatever, um, to do. Uh, so he's, he's often we've been less aggressive with our help rotations, at least on the back line. Um, you're not seeing as frequently like, uh, the, the all the way down to the restricted area kind of help coverage, which was like every single time at the beginning of the season. And then another thing is because they're more athletic and because they're a little bit um, or significantly better on defense, um, Tibbs is now comfortable not using Julius Randle in drop coverage. So a huge reason why Julius Randle was used in drop coverage, in my view, by Tibbs, is that he did not trust um, Julius's man um, if, if Evan Fournier picked him up. Yeah. He just didn't think that that was going to work. So didn't want that switch to happen. 
And we know, like, if you watch Tibbs, the way he attacks, like, the way we attack switch defenses is primarily isolation on the weakest link, right? So Tibbs has in his mind, like, you can't let weak links get switched. Like, that's very Tibbs and, Tibbsian ball, right? Hmm. Can't let weak links, weak links get switched um, onto better players or bigger players, right? And Tibbs is very much about the height and the size thing, right? Like, yes. RJ, when does he get post-ups? When we play Miami and he gets Gabe Vincent on him. He doesn't get post-ups when he has uh, Paul George guarding him, right, when we're playing the Clippers. But when we play, right, he's very much about this size differential thing, right? When you have, So he didn't want Evan Fournier getting switched on to guys. But there's this weird, this, this case with Josh Hart and with Grimes where he's like, you know what? They're strong enough, even though they're, like, not, not as big or whatever. I'll, I'll allow them to do that. So now that he's playing as better defensive players, He's comfortable allowing um, way more switching uh, uh, on the perimeter. So Mitch, of course, doesn't switch um, or very rarely switches. He's still pretty much playing drop. But Julius Randle is not playing drop very frequently anymore. Once in a while, you'll get a hysterical possession where he does. But as a result, he's able to use his best strengths, which is being a big switch defender who can take almost anybody in the league, right, if he gets switched on them. Um, And that is creating way fewer breakdowns because – Julius gets drop coverage was just a mess. Um, and so it's, it's not just that we're playing better players. I think on the defensive end, we're, we're better and more connected and tougher. Um, largely because Tibbs is more comfortable using a better scheme and more for his players, for the ones who are playing than he was previously with the players he was playing, which is something, you know, um, uh, anyways, I've talked, I had talked about that a lot in the past. I did a, a whole video on, the aggressive uh, scheme for uh, for the Strickland uh, uh, at the beginning of the year um, with like Evan Fournier and Brunson and how frustrating it was. There was one game in particular where Memphis just tore us apart with it. Like they got like, I, it must have been like 10, 12 open threes just off extremely simple actions that they just knew were going to draw ec- extreme help and that Evan Fournier and Jalen Brunson weren't going to get back to offer significant help on those three-pointers. Um, so playing better players has allowed him to be more adventurous. Um, it's allowed him to play better schemes that better fit his personnel. Um, and then they are also are just better. Um, another thing is now that they're executing so consistently, like Tibbs is very much, and I think this is actually a good feature. It's like, he's like the anti-Fizz, Fizzdale, where like Fizzdale was like, oh my God, I have uh, 15 rookies on my team. Um, none of them who know a single thing about NBA basketball. Let's play six defenses every game and like rotate in and out of them constantly. And like nobody got the fundamentals of anything down. Tibbs is the opposite. He's like, I will not add a single thing to this defensive scheme. We will be vanilla, 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 vanilla until you have it literally every detail down, right? Um, but now he's like, these guys get it and he's comfortable with that. And we're starting to see him add some more wrinkles, right? Like um, even things like, you know, small things like Sims coming up high to the level of the screen. Or last night against the Celtics, um, there were all these cases where um, Mitch was doing, I think, a really good job of getting high at the level of the screen, um, way higher than he's ever done. Uh, I shouldn't say ever, but that he typically does um, when Tatum would come around to pick and roll um, to shut down the three-pointer. Now, we were having a really bad time helping behind Mitch because, I mean, you can't have Mitch on an island against Tatum. He's just not. He doesn't have lateral quickness, right? So Tatum was beating him and then getting layups and things like that. So we're going to have to work on some of those help rotations for these new schemes now, these new, like these slight variations. Um, but it's really encouraging to see Tibbs branching out a little bit in that respect. Um, 
Yeah, so I think he's grown a lot. And the biggest thing, he's playing better players and he trusts those better players. And now he's able to actually run better schemes that fit them better and that are just better uh, and because he has better players doing it. A lot of better. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, and it, but it all starts with the lowest hanging fruit for NBA head coaches. Mm-hmm. Lowest hanging fruit, just freaking play your best players. Play your best players. All right, guys, we'll be back with Dallas in just a sec to continue this conversation on Tom Thibodeau. Might he uh, shorten the Knicks rotation even further, go down from a nine-man rotation to an eight-man rotation? And who's the odd man at? We'll tell you if you keep listening. But first, we have to reward or award the most prestigious reward that we give out here on Locked On Knicks, and that is Nissan's Most Electric Player of the Week. And it's brought to you by the all-new, all-electric 2023 Nissan Aria. Um, I'm going with Emmanuel quickly because he had one of the most electric performances I have ever seen um, in TD Garden. Uh, I would describe it as brilliantly fierce, just the way he picked apart the Boston Celtics. because It was almost cruel at times, the way he targeted Grant Williams, baited him outside of the paint, and then just took advantage, whether it was him or Mike Muscala. He showed stunning power on his drives. And just just had this elegance to him throughout. I mean, even even dancing a little bit. Uh, the 2023 Nissan Aria packs pin-to-your-seat power and premium intelligence all in one EV. The all-new, all-electric 2023 Nissan Aria, the EV for people who love to drive. You can shop now at NissanUSA.com. Well, and speaking of speaking of getting getting better and uh, you know, all that ironically, the, the thing that tips had to do to your point to get better was also to sort of pare things down a little bit. And it, we've seen the move to the nine man rotation was the move. It has finally been the one that, you know, if you give Tibbs two distinct five man units, he can't help himself, but to treat them as entirely separate. that can never commingle and never find fun combinations of players. Like you got to get that hockey shift in there within two minutes, you know, and make sure that the whole bench unit is in there versus the whole starters. And you almost never are going to have any, you know, odd pairings outside of maybe the final, like six, seven, eight minutes of a game. And only if you're going to play a guy for like, you know, like, like 18 straight minutes to end a game. Uh, yeah, like Alex, if I could, if I could say one thing, it just, it yeah. feels like the last six minutes of every Knicks game is sort of the Tibbs all-star game. He's like, all right, mm-hmm. you guys, you guys were the five best guys. All game long, you guys are gonna go out there together. And yeah, it's just like he like yeah. There's no fan vote. It's just which in vote. some way is is how it should work. But also, it, previously it would be like, well, Emmanuel, quickly, you did well in your bench shift uh, to end the third quarter. So now you're gonna play the whole fourth quarter too, and we'll just see how you hold up. Granted, you know, I guess we saw all that pay off in a big way in the Celtics game when he played 55 minutes and didn't look phased by it. Um, so maybe that was the long con by Tibbs there to get, get a, a guy like quickly ready for that. But um, the nine man rotation was sort of the turning point. I, my question for you, Dallas, I'm, cu- I'm curious, and this doesn't have to be like trying to trying to look into the future and see what's going to actually happen. Cause there's no way to know with Tibbs, but if you were Tibbs, would you think about reducing the rotation even further? Once it hit postseason time down to potentially eight guys, I think the Tibbs will want to do that. Uh, I don't know if he's going to, but I, I guess we'll see. I think there's kind of two schools of thought. Like you could say, for one, the Knicks' depth is sort of one of their greatest assets right now, that they have a bunch of guys that you could argue could start on other teams, like quickly, like Josh Hart, um, you know, like Obi Toppin. I think you could even still to this day say could probably start on some teams. 
Uh, and you know, that's sort of like their, their strong suit is that they can keep throwing all these, all these fresh legs at you of guys that, you know, are quality NBA players and aren't going to, you know, harm them just by virtue of being out there. But, you know, if you move down to eight, then you potentially make that even better. Like you're, you're trimming the fat even further and, and making the best possible unit that you can and, you know, having guys out there that are always going to know what the other is going to do and stuff like that. I guess the only difficulty for me is that you might potentially end up leaving a guy like Obi Toppin out in the cold. If that's the case, like I kind of think he would be the most likely candidate to end up out of the rotation. If they, if they move down to eight, because Tibbs already sort of planted that seed. Uh, the second that they got Josh Hart saying, yeah, I could see a world where Josh Hart could play a little four for us a couple minutes, you know, and, and, and then RJ got to last night. Yeah. And RJ has gotten to in the past as well. And even just got to, so uh, I'm curious what you think about that, Dallas. Like, do you think if if it were up to you, would you entertain moving this thing down to an eight man rotation in the playoffs? Since now that seems like a an inevitability rather than a stretch goal at this point, or would you stick to what's been working so far and just kind of keep it to the nine man thing? Uh, I think it will depend on matchup. Um, I think for Tibbs. On, in his view, he's going to be really concerned with offensive rebounding. Um, I think, uh, you know, like last night, we were kind of getting eaten up on the glass when we went small. Um, and I think Tibbs, he cares a lot about, well, on both both sides, um, defensive rebounding and offensive rebounding. He cares a lot about rebounding. Um, so I think him having seen that is going to make him adverse to going to it, um, to going small. now. You could play, still play big, have Hart in there, for example, and then, like you were saying, have RJ at the four or something like that. Um, you still have a big, at least, on the court, so maybe the rebounding thing would be better. But I think he's going to look at whether or not he thinks they can win the rebounding battle um, with whoever he's putting out there. If he thinks they can, maybe he'll go and try the shorter rotation. Um, that'll be it'll be interesting uh, what, how he balances that desire for size versus that desire for I, I feel like he would like to cut Obi from like the playoff rotation, you know. Um, so there, it'll be a, it'll be an interesting uh, internal Tibbs battle. Now, what would I do? Um, I think again, it's going to depend on matchups. Like I think if you're playing Milwaukee, um, you know, if they're going to be throwing out, like if you're going to have lineups with like Giannis on the bench, like with bench units and like Bobby Portis or something. Uh, you gotta, I mean, you're gonna have to have some size out there, uh, or you will absolutely get destroyed on the glass. Um, and you'll just, I mean, you're just gonna get destroyed, destroyed, right? Uh, so now is Obi really the guy that is the guy to do that? Maybe, maybe not. It may actually be that that's like, um, a series where like you want to throw Sims out there for like really short periods to, um, you know, just like give me, give me two fouls on Giannis and like, you know, buy me four possessions where you like stay in front of them and help build the wall or something like that, you know? Um, but, uh, I think that's a team where just like you, you really are going to struggle to go small unless like one of the problems with Tibbs is like when you go small and I mean, even, I mean, even at the four, like when you go small, like the the reason you do it usually is because you're able to get more skill on the floor. Right. Um, but you really get those advantages of going small, the skill advantages, if you're going to play a free-flowing offense, that's going to take advantage of all those guys' skills. 
right? If the ball's going to be whipping around, the guys are cutting, and you're using the extra speed you have and the extra shooting you have and the extra passing you have um, to leverage better shots. What the Knicks do is they go small, and they still run the same offense, which is like a boring, isolation-heavy offense that is really largely designed to get lots of shots up, even if they're contested, and crash the glass. Well, if that's what you're going to do, you're not going to get any of the advantages of going small, and you're going to have all the disadvantages that come from not having the guys there to crash the glass when you're running that offense designed to create like the Kobe assist thing. Yeah. Um, so it's it's kind of the worst of both worlds. So like, uh, if I was Tibbs, um, if I'm going to go small, those instances where I am, I really want the team moving the ball way more, pushing in transition like crazy. Uh, but I don't I don't know that I see him doing that. Um, going so going super small, I think that's pretty much out of the picture for the playoffs from Tibbs. Um, I think maybe we might see some minutes with RJ at the four. We might see some minutes with Hart at the four. It's going to be interesting to see how Tibbs trusts RJ too, because like he definitely has had some instances where he seemed to have him on his hydro leash, right? Um, especially since Josh Hart has been here. He feels like he has another guy he can go to and believes in. And I feel like Tibbs is like, I want Josh Hart on the court, you know, when things matter. And if that's true, somebody's getting left off the court. Um, who was starting and quickly is also another guy that, I mean, he's going to be really hard to keep off the court when things matter. Um, in which case that's another guy. I mean, another starter who's going to be left off the court. Uh, so you're looking at is R- is RJ going to be playing those crunch minutes? Um, how many minutes is RJ going to get trusted with in the playoffs? Um, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, but yeah. Um, I don't know if I really answered the question, but going back to one, uh, one thing that you said previously, Alex, that, you were talking about his hockey rotations and like how much he wants to keep things together. The funniest example of it to me is when a starter gets injured until finally he started playing quickly. His thing is to, for the sake of unit integrity, he will take the third stringer and put them in the starting lineup instead of moving the second stringer to the starting lineup and having the second, the third stringer become the second stringer. So we saw this with like, um, in the past. Deuce McBride would start over Emmanuel quickly and Emmanuel quickly would stay as like the sixth man and bench guard. And then you'd have another instance is like, um, when Mitch was injured, Sims started and you kept Hart inside with the bench. It's like, he has this weird, like the unit must stick together thing, um, until the end of games. And then he seems a little more happy to mix and match a bit, but it's, it's a weird, very weird tips, 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 tips thing, but. All right, we'll be back with Dallas Amico in just a second to talk about late game execution and how the Knicks can do it better as we inch towards the playoffs. But first, I got to remind you guys that today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. And I don't know if you've ever had a Built Bar before, but you should if you haven't. And if you've been still working on your New Year's resolution like I have been, yes, we're, we're two months in, but I'm still trying to hit the gym more. And I need that protein in my life. Built Bars are the best way to do it. And the best part is, is that you don't have to eat something that tastes like a foot. You can have something that tastes like a candy bar, which is awesome because most other protein bars do not taste very good. But Built Bars, they remind me of eating a candy bar. That's because they're covered in 100% real chocolate and they come in unbelievable flavors like churro, peanut butter, brownie, and coconut almond, my personal favorite. And the macros are pretty intense, only 130 calories and four grams of sugar versus a whopping 17 grams of protein per bar. That'll definitely replenish you after a good workout. And now the good news is you don't need to wait around to get a box if you really want to 
take my word for it and go fulfill your cravings. Uh, for years, we've been talking about ordering your Built Bars at Built.com, but now you can get them at your local Walmart or Sam's Club. That's right. Head to your nearest Walmart today. Walk to the pharmacy section and grab yourself a box of Built Bars. You can pick up a four-bar box of cookies and cream, double chocolate, or coconut puffs. And if you're close to a Sam's Club, run in and grab a 13-bar box with their hit flavors, brownie batter and churro. You can thank me later. Yeah, it's it's always interesting because he 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 values. I think maybe the the way I'd phrase it is is solidity, and I, I think to what you were saying with size. I mean, that was the reason Alec Burks I think was was out there over quickly last year, even if quickly was probably already at that point. <clears throat> excuse me, the better defender of the two of them, and I think the the great development from him is that he's starting to recognize like all right, like the veteran isn't ultimately the more solid player. And I'm so curious how he handles that because RJ is sort of the lone exception to that, right? Where RJ gets to make a million mistakes that other guys don't generally. And I mean, RJ was a rookie, or he was sorry, he was a second year player last time around um, when the Knicks made the playoffs. But I'm, I'm so curious, like if those same defensive breakdowns are happening and RJ is the source, do you sacrifice maybe some of the offensive ceiling that RJ gives you? For someone like Hart, and right now that's not even a debate because the Knicks offense is generally way better when Hart's on the floor than when RJ's on the floor. But if we're getting something closer to the version of RJ we got last night, where I think kind of similar to what I was talking about with quickly, like these playoff type atmospheres, and we, we had a game like that against the Heat, we had a game like that against the Celtics, like they tend to bring out like the highest end skills of guys. And for quickly, that was his, his defensive playmaking that we, we typically like haven't really seen a ton from him this year. And then for RJ, it was the ability to say like, all right, like say whatever you want about the guy. Like he, he did one play stretch where he um, shut down Jason Tatum at the rim on one and shut down his strong, but like helped make him miss. And then went coast to coast, went right into Jalen Brown's body, slipped it under his arm for a left-handed inside hand finish. And like, do you want to sacrifice like a guy who can do that and can get you those type of buckets in the crucible of a playoff match? But then on the other end of the floor, like, he's going to maybe get back to a cut on a play where Josh Hart is never going to get back to a cut. So I, I think that's, that's kind of an interesting balance and, and Dallas, uh, I'll, I'll let you respond to that. But I also, I want to add on a question that, that maybe, maybe you can uh, wind this all together in, in a beautiful way, but I'm curious what you think of the Knicks end of game offense, because it, it felt like another situation against Miami where if Julius doesn't make a crazy three, like we kind of have the same questions we've had with Tibbs all this year, all of the last three years where you're like, all right, this is still, super basic and just roll the ball out to your best guy and like let him try and create some magic. And then that, that backfired at the end of the Celtics game, right? Where Julius, and, and to be fair, Tibbs didn't have a timeout, but, but Julius doesn't get a shot off in that situation. Um, and to some extent that is playoff basketball, right? It's, it's get your best star on the best matchup possible and let him go to work. And that, and that's okay. But there just seems to be a disorganization, particularly when teams are able to force the ball out of Jalen Brunson's hand. So I guess I say all that to say like, like, how does Tibbs handle that both in terms of strategy and who is actually on the floor in, in kind of the closing big moments of playoff games? And do you do you have the same gnawing fear that I do that when we get to the playoffs, it's going to be revealed that the Knicks never actually solve that problem? Yeah, I, that is my biggest fear. My biggest fear are doubles at the end of games. Mm-hmm. And just in general, doubles, um, especially on Julius, um, uh, they're, they're a problem. They remain a problem. Um, so I was, so a couple of things, um, he, first of all, the, one of the reasons they're a problem is cause he's, he's just really bad at <laughs> dribbling with his eyes up, you know, uh, he looks down and he's focused on his man too. Um, and he just doesn't see what's going on around him all the time. 
Um, he's absolutely awesome at scoring, and as long as that double isn't coming, he's fine. And if he's, it's also he's usually okay if he's uh, got his back to the basket. Um, but it really it sort of depends on whether or not he feels it coming or not too, because sometimes there he'll put his head down and he can still get trapped um, and get into trouble. Um, but he just doesn't feel them coming. It's just it's just a fact. Um, I think we got we made an improvement last night uh, as the game went on, where he repeatedly didn't see, feel them coming. It also happened in the Miami game where he had he was trapped and he had troubles with it. Um, even on the very last possession, uh, you know he had two guys aggressively on him and he lost the ball like four times and like miraculously got it back and like hit the craziest shot of all time. <laughs> that, was, um, that was the plan, Dallas. That was always the plan. <laughs> so it was even there, even in a great victory, it was a problem. But um, well, one thing we did was we stopped. So like he got trapped once in the post um, and then he got trapped twice or doubled twice, at least twice uh, going middle. Um, and inside the three-point line both times, or all three times. There may have even been another example, um, but all of those resulted in very bad things for the Knicks. One was, at least one was a turnover. One was, we didn't get a shot off at the end of the game. Um, and the other one, it may have been a, another turnover. It, it was like, it was just really bad stuff, right? Um, the thing the Knicks did next was, if Julius Randle got the ball when he did, was he instead would get it at the top of the key. And we saw him work there and not try to penetrate at all. He didn't try to get down low. He didn't try. So he knew the double was going to come if he did. And by staying high, it makes it, first of all, way harder for the double to come um, and easier to beat if it does come. And two, it gives you, when he's at the top of the key, he has vision of the whole court, right? Um, so he can see, it's a little easier to see where the double's coming from than if he, you know, goes in the lane and then turns his back to the hoop as he's trying to do one of the spin moves or his fade away or post up or something like that, where you can send it to his blind side and he doesn't feel it coming. So that switch was actually really useful, I think. It was good. Um Julius didn't hit those shots, uh, but he got he got shots off. And like, you know, a Julius pull up three is a it's a fine shot. Maybe not the best shot of all time. But like down the stretch when you really need a shot and you need to get something off, at least you're gonna get something off. So that that was an improvement. Another improvement is Julius seemed, especially as the overtimes went on, um, at, you know, end of regulation, he had the shot. Um, he had those problems. He started taking a few of those uh, from the top of the key. That was good. But as things went on, he trusted Emmanuel quickly. Um, and he was giving quickly the ball. And quickly was making things happen. He was, uh, you know, working the switches. And we talked about hitting shots in the switch pocket getting downhill against the outside foot of guys trying to get up into that switch pocket and take it away. Um, there were also some creative things Tibbs did, uh, which I haven't seen much of this year, uh, particularly against switches, where he added a little wrinkle and it was nice. Um, uh, I won't try to dis <laughs> describe it here in the, without film, but um, there were a few things that were encouraging. And then, uh, so a really big thing is like, down the stretch of the game, I want Jalen Brunson, I want Julius Randle, and I want Emmanuel quickly all on the court. Those are your best shot makers, your best ball handlers, your best guys who can create you something out of nothing. Um, when sh shit is going down at the end of the game, I need those three guys on the court. And I need the, the, uh, order to be Brunson first. He gets, Brunson should have the ball, right? Teams are trying to force it out of his hands. Um, I really think quickly is the next guy at end of game situations. 
just because of um, Randall's susceptibility to doubles. Um, I'm fine with him. He should be he should be out there because he's a great bailout option. And if you need something, if you have a hot potato at the end of the shot clock, you can give him the ball and he's going to get a three off or he's going to get a shot off wherever he is on the court. And it's going to be a solid shot because he's Julius Randall. He's six nine or whatever he is, like huge guy, shoots over anybody, no problem. You know he's going to get a shot off. So I want him out there, but I don't want him being the decision maker. Um, I don't want him being the one who's, uh, uh, you know, making things happen. Uh, and I don't want him being in positions where teams can target him with doubles. And I know it's coming. Any coach who watched the Knicks this year, they would have watched that Indiana Pacers game. They would have seen both Brunson and Randall struggle with the doubles and the traps in that game. Um, the aggressive, aggressive ones, right? They were sending them all over the place all the time, high, you know, at the half court, uh, just as they cross half court, they'd send them in a post. They sent them all over the place and there was a lot of trouble with them then. They've seen it work at times with Miami against Julius. They've seen his problems against Atlanta in the playoffs. They've seen how the Celtics used it at the end of the game there. Smart coaches and scouting teams, they will have seen this. We are going to see it in the playoffs, so you have to be ready for it. And I think the best thing to do to be ready for that is to say at end of games, okay, um, and we really have made this change as the, as the season has gone on too, the ball goes to Jalen Brunson at the end of the game. Right, there were earlier times like, and I think some of this was we were talking about Tibbs' weird size thing, but like there's this game that's like imprinted in my head against the Bulls earlier in the season where we repeatedly went to a Brunson Randall pick and roll in order to get a switch. And for some reason, those were the two that they kept setting screens with because, um, Caruso was guarding, would start off guarding, uh, uh, Brunson and Pat Williams was guarding Randall. So the Bulls' two best defenders surrounded by a team, a rotation of bad defenders, right? You have DeRozan, you have, um, uh, Zach Levine, you just, everywhere else you look at bad defenders that you don't want getting switched on those guys, but they were running the screens with the two best defenders so they could switch back and forth. And it was like not a mismatch no matter what. And then we just kept feeding Julius, um, in the post against, he would get Alex Caruso switched on him. Um, and, you know, uh, sometimes you have Pat Will on, on him and we just kept feeding him over and over and it was just miserable. It wasn't working out. He wasn't, you know, hitting shots. And really, uh, it maybe took another week or two, but since that earlier game against the Bulls, there's been sort of a shift where now Brunson seems to be the guy who typically has the ball down the stretch. And I think that's a really good, really good shift. It's helped us a lot down the stretch. Um, Brunson's had some issues at, at times, but he's been way better. Um, he's made a ton of buckets down the stretch and I typically just trust him to get shots off and to get, get decent shots off. Um, and I think Julius is a great outlet option. Who's a guy who can get a shot off no matter what, if he gets a hot potato. Um, so I think the next step is now bumping quickly a little bit above Julius in that pecking order at end of games. Julius should be getting more creation opportunities regularly. I mean, he's an all NBA guy for good reason, mostly on his offense, right? Um, he should be getting lots of that stuff. But once doubles, if they're starting to come, I think you just give the ball to quickly, let him work, use Julius as an outlet, um, have Brunson be the first guy. Uh, that's sort of what my game plan would be. Um, cause like with quickly, I just know if the, du- if the double comes, he's going to move the ball fast, right? He's going to make a read. He's not going to try to do too much. Um, and he's going to find somebody else and let them, you know, find the open guy and you're going to get a shot. 
Um, with Brunson, he's more likely to keep the ball, uh, but he's still going to be able to make something happen. He's going to, he's not going to get totally flustered. J, uh, Julius just can, he can get caught. And I, I am very nervous about it. Um, if I'm being honest, I'm very nervous about it. And I know we're going to see it. So I'm hoping they're working on it, hoping they're thinking about it. It's so much better since Brunson's here and Dibs trusts him and he can have the ball down the stretch. But it, it is a, it is a thing that has me nervous because I, then this team, this team's good. We could, we could go far in the playoffs. Well, Dallas, I think that's that's as, as positive and awesome of a note as I think of to end on is this team is really good and could go far in the playoffs. I agree. Uh, real quick, bef- <laughs> yeah, real quick before we let you go, uh, do you have anything you wanna you wanna promote or anything, or just let everybody know where to find you on Twitter and all that good stuff? Real quick. I want to promote cheering for a good team. Yeah, I I've thing. spent. Most of my life, I grew up as a Knicks, Bills, and Mets fan. So it's just been like hell. Uh, and I don't, uh, you know, cheering for a good team. Wow. It's so much better than cheering for bad teams. Uh, this is so much fun. What a great season. I'm having like literally the blast of my life. Every single game, I'm so hyped. Uh, it's not that like anguish anymore that was so common. Um, you know, trying to watch. Trying to get excited about like Kadeem Allen or something, you know, like maybe oh, look, there could be some like defensive potential. Maybe, maybe like, this is how we opened last night's show. We were like, yeah, we kept Kevin Knox all star. We spent uh, yeah. 40 episodes in a row talking about that. Alonzo Trier, 30 points. Oh my goodness, <laughs> what a crazy night! Yeah, <laughs> just the, yeah, the things you used to convince yourself maybe could have been awesome. I, my, my claim to shame, fame, shame, whatever, like my first. First time ever trying to write anything about the Knicks um, and like more, really getting more seriously into it. I was like, Noah Vonley, could he be like maybe have some initiation upside? God, that was so terrible. And really, really, you just predicted the Julius Randle future. That was it. So <laughs> just with the wrong player. Yeah. It was an autocorrect thing. And then it was. Yeah. Yeah. But man, yeah. Cheering for a good team is great. Uh, the only thing I have other than that to promote is the Strickland. Um, I occasionally do videos there. I do a podcast, uh, bi-weekly, um, with Drew Steele, Doug Steele. Um, and that's fun. And the Strickland just has lots of good stuff going on. So I'm sure you all know about the Strickland, but go check it out. Especially the most important thing you could do to help people there probably is like and subscribe to the YouTube channel because we can't monetize it until we get enough subscribers. So like, if you like it at all, just go subscribe. It's it's sweet. It really helps. And then like when you watch things like all those stupid ads that pop up, which they have to happen, right? And you have to watch them. At least then some of the money goes to like people you want to support, as opposed to just going to like, uh, you know, Google and uh, our terrible tech overlords. So support yeah. people you like as opposed to our tech overlords by just pushing a button uh, to subscribe. Uh, cool. Yeah, good case for locked on next too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> locked on next. People, people want to do that. It's easy. Hit it. All right. Well, that's that's also a great note to end on. So thanks so much for coming on, Dallas. Also, be sure to follow at DallasAmico underscore on Twitter if you enjoyed uh, Dallas's takes on this episode. But or these episodes, I think we comfortably fell into about three-parter territory here. Um, so thank you all for listening. And we'll have more for you guys going forward. So thanks for listening. Talk to you soon. Peace out.